Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 127. In today's episode, I interview the mad scientist of strength, Chris Duffin. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to hear Chris discuss recovering physically and mentally from injury, life philosophy, and the interconnectedness of everything, and simply perseverance. Alrighty, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health, Health Podcast, if I could even talk today. And on the line today, I have Chris Duffin. Chris, first question I ask everybody who sh- comes on the show is, share with us your the highlights of your health and movement journey, please. Mm, the highlights. How about, how about the lowlights? Actually, I think <laughs> probably a little bit of a combination might be a good thing to share with people. It is. You know, so for your listeners, you know, that may not know me, um, my background is actually in business and running operations. So I ran aerospace manufacturing companies, automotive, high tech, all that sort of stuff. And I owned a gym on the side and was a uh, competitive lifter. And it was basically a over like a five year period, a string of string of injuries, and from herniated discs, uh, detached uh, two heads of my pec. Uh, surgery on my elbows, like all sort of stuff. And um, I, I kept going in to, uh, to see different doctors and they would always focus on just that thing. And I'm like, I've lifted for 20 years, 15 years at the time or whatever it is um, with, with no injuries. And I'm like, these, these have to be, you know, related in some way or another. And uh, that's where I decided to, you know, set my I'm, I'm a bit obsessive in nature, um, which is I was really good at what I did in the manufacturing, uh, manufacturing sector of the world and, uh, and and the leadership side. And just like I just took those same skill sets and said, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. So I started networking. And uh, so it's really a string of uh, string of injuries that kind of help transform like who I am and what I do for the in the world these days. So. Um, because, uh, you know, over that, uh, over that period of time, I ended up, you know, becoming friends with Stu McGill, uh, Kelly Starrett, uh, Craig Liebenson, Charlie Weingroff, um, a number of the, uh, the lead instructors at, uh, the Prague school, um, uh, to develop, uh, um, and, uh, you know, over the course of that, I, you know, I figured out and put together a, you know, a performance-based model based on a lot of the the rehabilitation type approaches that I kind of learned through those. And that's that's where I am today. I completely left that other career. This is what I do uh, 100%. I've got a staff of coaches, um, and uh, we have a uh, manufacturing company that builds equipment and uh, that helps people get in better positions, and we teach that our you know, we think of ourselves as an education company first. Um, we've got a subscription-based website that teaches movement principles, seminar series, all this sort of stuff. And it all stemmed from, I'm, I'm a broken old lifter now. Like, I, there's some of the stuff I can't go back and fix. Like, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And, um, 
you know, so I've got, you know, a permanent level of, you know, trauma kind of built up at this point, but that's, that's what set me now on what I feel like incredibly passionate about. Like I've always been a coach and a leader. Like that was the, the, the piece that I really loved out of the work that I did is like helping people, you know, go beyond and achieve what they thought was possible in the work, in the workplace. But like, now doing that, reaching people around the globe and actually impacting their, their life and their health is just, just like phenomenal. Like I, I, I am so happy to be where I am and what I'm doing now. And that's, uh, that's, uh, it, 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 yeah, it came from breaking and learning the hard way. So what was maybe like, what was, what was that breaking point? Like where it's like, all right, this has to change. Like where you just completely shifted gears to really get into this part of your life now. God, um, well, <laughs> that was more of uh, just accumulating so much uh, things on my plate. So, so I started. Um, so, like I said, you know, I, I was a you know executive, you know, working at the executive level, uh, which is a pretty demanding you know job where you know I've got 100, 150 employees all you know like. If I screw up, people are out of jobs, companies out of business. Like, there's a lot that rides on your shoulder. Especially, I did a lot of turnaround work, so it wasn't like, like I said, it did ride on my shoulders. Like, you know, like if I, you know, they brought me in to like save a company or do something, you know, that, you know, like if I failed, everyone failed. So on top of that, like I was still competing at a at a world class level in in powerlifting. I had kids <clears throat> and a family at home. And uh, I started uh, filming content and putting up content online while I was in the gym because I, I owned a gym as well. Um, and uh, just to help people out because I just got sick and tired of the plethora of really bad misinformation out there. I'm like, even if it's just a, a quick video of me coaching people at the gym, like at least I'm getting something out there that's helping people. And uh, and and that started growing. So next thing you know, I'm having to write. I'm having to write for my website. I'm writing for Elite FTS. I'm writing for, I think it was Breaking Muscle at the time. And, and uh, you know, I'm doing my videos. I'm training. And it's just like, I'm like, something has to give, like just from my personal, my personal level. Um, because, uh, you know, the kids are getting older. I know they're going to be in sports soon, like all this stuff. So I'm like, something has to quit. I, I can't do all this. So let's see. I've got family. I've got lifting and I've got a job. So I decided to, I decided the job had to go. I like so, the choice actually. So yeah, <laughs> it's a little scary. Cause like I said, I did well, uh, in my career, I was sought after for what I did, but you know, it's like, Oh man, I've been doing this for almost 20 years and I'm, I'm pretty well known in the Portland area and yeah, it's kind of scary, <laughs> but, well, but you've been in, you've been in the strength game now for a while too. And I'm curious, like, what maybe now, like, what is something you've recently changed your mind on as far as either like strength or just the whole rehabilitative process? Um, you know, it's actually, it's a number of discussions I've had with probably Craig Liebenson over the last six months or so, um, have, have helped that is my understanding of, uh, we don't need to police perfection all the time. And, uh, which I do like, I am super, I, super critical of anybody that's like pushing the limits and athletic perspective of you, we've got to nail this. We've got to, you know, if you've got 800 pounds on your back, a minor deviation, you're going to get, you're going to get screwed. Like, um, sorry, I'm not sure if you're a clean podcast. Oh no, no, so, go for uh, it. Okay, say say okay. what you want to say. So, Please. <laughs> you're going to get fucked. I, I, so, I heard the hesitation so. <laughs> there. That's what I figured was coming. Go for it. So, um, but you know, you know, that's not, that's not the, you know, the most of the world. Right. And we really want people just moving and, and really understanding that, you know, sometimes maybe our thoughts on that, we are scaring people that are not at that level into, you know, you know, they're not moving, they're not pushing themselves. They're not doing, you know, the work that is really, you know, like it, it you know, we all have compensations and, you know, a little bit of compensation is fine. That's what the human body is built for. And, uh, <clears throat> and we're actually quite good at it, <laughs> but but, you know, it's just understanding that, yeah, we don't have to have perfection with everybody before we actually move to start adding load. And that's been because that's something I preach, actually, in our seminar series is, you know, we want we want you we want good, clean perfection movement first before adding load. But again, we're talking about, you know, a different, you, you know, a, diff, a different beast there. Right. And so differentiating that and, uh, you know, that, you know, some level of 
you know, imperfection there is, is, is fine. We can, we can move with that. No. And that's similar. I just had a Tony gentle core on the podcast and I think you guys have had him on too. Right. Um, mm -hmm. we were talking, he, he brought something up to me and I thought it was like the easiest way to understand. Like everybody knows like Pareto's principle, like 80, 20. Uh, but he was talking, like, he said 90, 10, but he said like 90, 10 in the gym where it's like, all right, 90% of the time I want to just be dead on. Like you said, everything's got to be perfect, but there is some of that room for leeway, uh, where it's like, okay, maybe you were going for an all out effort, like a uh, repetition every, you're going for 10 and maybe it was like nine and 10 didn't look perfect, but you still got it done. So it's, there are going to still be times where yes, you're still seeking perfection, uh, yep. with that movement. But I, 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 so I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's important for people to understand is you're still trying to do. You're all, you're always trying. Yes. Regardless, you're always trying to practice being better. And you never lose that. You never get the, uh, you know, big thing I believe in is a balance of extremes. And, you know, the way I articulate that a lot of times is I want you to put 100% of your effort, everything you've got into that bar right now. And, and I want you to do it absolutely perfect. And people think that that is a dichotomy, that those can't, those can't like, oh, if I'm going to throw everything at it, form just going to go to shit. And I'm like, no, no, it, I want exactly 100% both. And, and exactly if you're going to do one that heavy, you have to have the you've got to be pushing the other that far. Um, but, you know, if we're working on like some corrective drills or something like that and we've got like this minutiae, like this little pinky finger needs to be there. No, no, we've got to we've got to do we've got to have this perfect SNS score before we can add some load and start actually training. No, no, we don't need to. That's what I'm saying. That's where we've got to have like, you know what, especially for that population, like just getting them you know, moving is the best thing possible. And if we're holding them back doing non-load, non-load, we're, we're really not teaching them. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's where I think that differentiation needs to come, come into play. Right. Like, yeah. That balance of extremes is an awesome way to think about it too. Right. I, I like that because using that, that example though, if you're going, you want 100% into this, well, you're not going to be able to put hundred percent effort in if you're not going a hundred percent on that form because the more the form breaks down the more the effort's going to break down then too exactly and yeah and, and when you say that to people they think it's like if you say one you're saying give up the other and i'm saying no absolutely they're not the harder you push one extreme you have to balance it by pushing the other extreme life is not uh you know you know people think about moderation is you know, or achieving balance in life is is about moderation i say it's not it's about having like i said you know, those things like I'm going to push my, my career this far. I'm going to push my, but I'm going to, you know, my family time just as much. Like I need to have, you know, so something else has to give, right. You know, well, my job had to give, I had to change careers, do whatever, but like, I'm going to push this a hundred, everything I've got, but my priorities and the things that balance out each other, you know, are, 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 are going to be there. You see so many people that like, oh, well half-ass their job, but then they also half-ass their family time and they half-ass their like, well, because they've they're also doing some TV and football Sundays and you know like golf on Saturday and this you know and like that that that's that's moderation. It's boring and it sucks and it's for wusses. You know, like so I, what I does wanna, the extreme I, of family time look like for you? <laughs> I think it's just you know it's making sure that it's it's there and it's authentic. You know, like there's a lot of people that like try to make something great of their like this is going to be such an awesome experience. You, you can't you can't say that today is going to be the memory that my kid's going to have forever, you know, of this awesome time with daddy. You know, you know what? Sometimes those you just have to be there because those things happen. And so you have to make sure that that you are there. It's not like doing the trip to Disneyland or the whatever. Like, you know what? You could be busting your ass and coming home late all the time. And and, you know, your Disney trip isn't going to make up for anything. So, so for me is, is, is making sure that's time. So that means you have to cut out a lot of other fluff in life. Like, you know, if, if things are truly a priority and I think that's where people get lost, people get filled with, um, tasks and just like filling their time, filling their time with a little Facebook, a little TV, a little of this, a little of that. And, uh, they're, you know, if you look at, there's, there's a lot more time in life than people think that they have. And, uh, so, you know, it's just valuing that time and figuring out how, how to, how to prioritize that and where to cut, you know, it's just a matter of, matter of, yeah. What can you take out? Oh, what no. can you, yeah. When, when it comes to, you know, setting, 
you know, being, being efficient, that's the first thing that you want to do in life is like, how can I remove whatever like this is? How can I just absolutely just get rid of it? And then if you can't get rid of it, next thing is how do I automate it? Okay. If I can't automate it, next thing you do is how do I delegate it? <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's more back to my corporate days. Cause I would, uh, I'd come in, you know, and usually, you know, you know, in executive level positions, like people are, you know, working 12, 14 hour days type stuff and never catching up and working weekends and doing this. And, uh, the first thing I would do is nothing. <laughs> I wouldn't do the reports. I wouldn't do the meetings. I wouldn't do anything. I just observe and then wait and find what has to be done. And you, you'd be surprised at how much stuff, this report that's ultra, you know, urgent that you got trained to do and this and that, you know, doesn't work for every position, right? But like in the, the job that I was in, that's, you, you'd be surprised at how much fluff and crap so that you can actually cut down and go start spending things on important time, like the conversations with your employees so that you can, you know, once you've got the, you know, a vision and direction for the company and what you're trying to accomplish, like, it's like beating that, you know, that drum all the time. It's not a report that you can like check a box and say, I got this done, but it's things that actually transform things and make change. So that's anyway. just an awesome one. No, little, that's an little, awesome little way to look at it. Little tangent, little tangent. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty fantastic. No, I think if people can look at that, like you said, it doesn't have to be in a business. This could be across really any parts of their lives, but exactly. it can be easily yep. implemented. Yep. Yeah, you can't, you know, everybody does bill pay. It's the same thing. Like, okay, I can automate this. I can do like, but like, yeah, it's like if, you know, time is our most valuable resource. And a lot of times we don't really think of it uh, in that manner. And you look at people just like wasting it, you know, so you only got one life, right? So well, that was one of the other things I want to touch in what you said in there, because uh, I have a young son, like he, he just turned two and people are saying like, oh, it must be going so fast like this and that. I'm like, I, I really don't think so. Like but I'm trying to be present with every day that I get to connect with him, like doing that. And that's why I really appreciate you saying like, no, there's a lot more time in life that you think. No, it might get cut short. It, it certainly happens, but that's why if you're taking the most of that time and just enjoying whatever it is that you're doing, like you said, Hey, you, you had to cut out, you cut out the job to keep everything else in there. That was great. And that gave you so much more time. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I, I have an interesting, you know, entrepreneur store, right? Cause everybody's used to working 80 hour weeks and not making money. And I'm like, you know, I did a bit of groundwork, but my, you know, so that I, I could hit the ground running. But you know, one of my big goals out of this was to create time. Like, you know, like I can yesterday afternoon, you know, it's summer vacation. So the kids are in the office with me hanging out. We'll spend a little time. We'll do this, that they're getting bored. I'm like, yeah, we ran out to the zoo for three hours yesterday afternoon, came back, they're kind of burnt out. So they, you know, they zoned out, watched a little TV while I finished up work. You know, it was like, I have the ability to do that. Like, and that's what I wanted. <laughs> no, and that's an awesome way to do it. And I, here, one of the things I want to get into, because this probably allows you to get more time is, Hey, if you develop things, if you're able to sell them, Hey, that's going to buy you more time in essence. But one of the things that I want to talk about was, um, well, no, it's, it's the transformer bar. I guess your, your take on a safety squat bar. Yeah. How, how do you use that? N not just for like the strength performance, but for almost more on that rehabilitative end and helping people fix things because I'm a physical therapist and I love a safety squat bar, but I'm curious, like, what do you do with it? How are you guys using it for that? So, 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 uh, think about it from a rehab standpoint. If you take a standard safety squat bar, they're, they kind of suck for that. Like a lot of them are like 60, 65 or 75 pounds. Right. Sometimes that's too heavy for a client to begin with. Right. Uh, the, the bars, they shoot across your shoulder. And a lot of times you're dealing with like shoulder issues when you do it and you're crushing the traps. You put two bars right on the traps and you crush them. And then you've got like kind of a weird teaching because, you know, if we want to teach good patterns, we want to have that 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 torso stabilized right so of course you know you know what you're doing you teach good I, iap um, but we need to get that lat connected into the shoulder as well and, and and really solidify that 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 torso but the the handles are way up high so you're in this weird extended position with the arms um so just from an ergonomic standpoint so we've taken care of some of those things the bar is 45 pounds so that makes it easier for your 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 lighter clients right 
uh, or you know clients that can't handle that load. Uh, the bar is actually formed right as it comes off of the, of the bar. The handles are are rounded so it actually rolls over the traps and distributes the load entirely over the trap, which is kind of which is pretty cool. And then it puts the hand position out and in front of you so that all you have to do the elbows are at your side and you're holding the bar. So all you have to teach your people is to crush those elbows in towards them, cue that last ability, and maintain that position. So you don't have to. Because with a normal safety squat bar, you'll find as they start squatting, people either start pulling the handles down or pushing them up because it's like, where is where is normal? Where is normal? So they defeat the purpose of the bar by like removing the forward overload, um, and then and then we usually don't have good torso stability in that as well. So all of that from an ergonomic standpoint comes into play, which I think is really important. Now the whole that's before we even get to a, a tra- what the what makes it the transformer bar. This is just like executing the safety squat bar version really well, right? So, so there we've got the we've got everything taken care of to make a really efficient ergonomically bar that's going to allow people to get in good position and cue the right things to be on and and, and not be like you know loading anything heavy like the you know the traps and trying to crush that. So then the transformer bar. Uh, with safety squat bars, what I found is every manufacturer uh, is a different level of aggressiveness. So there's the bend in the bar and then an angle that how far that that weight is in front of you. And uh, so all that is trying to pull you over. And this is what cues people to stay into position uh, in hold position. Because if you don't, you'll it'll bend you into flexion and kind of crush you. So it naturally teaches that. And that's the point of the safety squat bar. Some of them are really aggressive, some less so. And, uh, you know, like, you know, your, your 65 year old grandmother with back pain that you've been working through and now you're starting to add load is going to be different than your, you know, you know, your D one lineman that, you know, is in here for the same reason or whatever it is. Right. Um, and small, just a small bit of load can really change the dynamics where it's, if it's really aggressive, the only thing they're focusing on is not the squatting, but actually just trying to hold position. So what we would want to do is taper that back and make it less aggressive. So our angle is completely changeable. Um, well, not completely. It's uh, there's uh, every 15 degrees, I think. So there's um, there's 24 different settings of aggressiveness, basically between how far out, so you can move the weight to where there's basically no forward effect. So if you're just wanting to focus on like removing the shoulders from the squatting and just teaching a squat pattern, you can just make it a camber bar or like no camber effect, forward camber effect at all. And then there's four different settings forward that you can run that uh, to a light setting, a normal safety squat bar setting, and then a really aggressive setting. And then you can change the angle, uh, same thing. So it really allows you to, to do that. And then you can actually, you could take the same weight and periodize the movement if you want. Like every week, you could actually make it more aggressive, more aggressive, more aggressive with never changing the load as well. And then uh, what we found is that the different settings and uh we don't have anything published yet because we're doing some uh uh studies at a a biomechanics lab but you'll find that with the different settings you can actually make it more posterior chain or more quad dominant um but and then you can also elicit the same effect of a of a heavier squat with lighter load as well so like uh the uh, uh oregon state uh OSU uses they've got I think about 10 of them in their facility and they use them on their on their speed day with a light weight they've got 135 on the bar that's it and they run a really aggressive setting and that's all that they have to do to like get the training effect for me I'm a 900 plus pound squatter um, with one of the more aggressive settings um, I've been squatting with it like a triple with 450 pounds will destroy me like I don't like that's that's the level of aggress like how that bar can be adjusted um, to give you, you know, a yeah, little half bit the of the load, and still it's giving the same effect. It, exactly, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so, so it's uh, and and the and with that really aggressive setting uh, too. Like I've never actually been able to squat so deep. So it cues me into such a tight position that I can drop into like an almost an Oli lifter, like that really deep that really deep and my torso is just super upright and rigid and with a straight bar, anything below that, no matter what of, I try to cue myself. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at squatting, but you know, I'll go into, I'll go into flexion, uh, at the lumbar, uh, well before like getting to that depth 
without and I just can't do it but with that bar I can and then that's one way I'm like my quads are really coming into play um, to, to do that and I think that's gonna have great carryover on my getting back to the, the straight bar squat as well as teaching that quad engagement um, but yeah it's 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 pretty interesting the the effects that you can get because there's essentially 24 different bars in one so I'm curious Chris like have you gone about developing some of these things very systematically or is it more that you're a very creative person you've just been able to hone that in and then bring it into that uh i guess like that very detail-oriented world yeah um so you know this ties i'm gonna run into some tangents with my my past work experience and my hobbies as well so um i make uh pretty crazy uh off-road vehicles um you know custom built axles from the ground up designing my own steering and suspension systems, designing central tire inflation systems, like, and, you know, just, there's nothing out there that does what, what I built, you know, um, same thing in the work environment. Like, um, you know, I've, I was, uh, I was, a, a supposed expert in lean manufacturing, which is, you know, a discipline of, of, you know, the structure that you put in place to eliminate waste, uh, in, in, uh, manufacturing or just any operations. And there's like certain things that you do, but I would never do them. I would come in and just like observe and try to understand the business. And I would come up with strange, weird, creative solutions. And that's really like, uh, it wasn't me that dubbed myself the mad scientist, but a, uh, 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 Stan efforting dubbed me that, you know, but it's like, it's stuck because everybody's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's you, because that's what I, I come up with these weird rant like, hey, why don't you drink some whiskey before you deadlift? No, it actually works. Like it, it's a real thing. And I published an article with the science behind it that nobody would – everybody thinks – you know, thought it was a joke and they start trying it. They're like, oh my god, it works. I'm like, no, I know. So it's really that creativity to come up with weird ideas and then I'm, I'm very obsessive. So um, yeah, I'm <laughs> – I'm quite obsessive. So that's where the details come from. I will just sit there and just hammer away at something over and over until it, it's perfect. Um, so yeah, it's, that's why I build my own rigs from the ground up. I build my own, you know, I bend the chassis straight from tube. I design like, cause I want it perfect. I want it right. And I can't like, there's no kit. There's no, there's no nothing that will do it. I've got a, a number of years ago, I bought a, uh, a brand new Dodge, uh, quad cab 2500 diesel, you know, or you know, 40 fifty thousand dollar rigs, right? I pulled it into the driveway because I wanted to lift it, and everybody wants to buy a lift kit, right? Because that's that's what you do. And I looked at all the geometries on the lift kit, and I went, they all suck. So I put it up on jacks, and I took out a plasma cutter and stripped the frame of my brand new fifty thousand dollar rig. <laughs> And I built my own suspension and steering from scratch. And guess what? It's running 42s, uh, 42-inch tires. I have no idea how much lift. It's actually, I try to keep things as low as possible, um, um, not like jacking them high. So it's, it doesn't have near, probably has like six or eight inches left, less than anybody else running that tire size, which actually you don't even see street rigs running that tire size. But anyway, um, you know, I can bomb over the mountain 70 miles an hour passing people on the tight curves. And like it handles way better than stock. Because the suspension geometry is better than stock, because I took the time to understand it and 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 correct it, and I wouldn't accept it anything else. Now I've redone it like six times that I've gone in there and stripped it off again, and restarted and again and again based on like, you know, it just not being quite quite perfect, quite quite perfect. Right now I'm like, <laughs> is is anything does, does, be does that answer your question? No, nothing no, is perfect, it definitely does. But nothing will ever achieve perfect, but we should, I'm always in the quest to find it. <laughs> I, I like that though, because I agree. Like it, what is perfection? Well, I guess if, if you think it's perfect, it could be perfect, but it's not going to necessarily be perfect to somebody else. Exactly. So how but do you take... It's Stu, uh, Dr. Uh, Stu McGill and I have had a lot of conversations on the side about uh, vehicles and, uh, vehicles and uh, performance training as well as being how how related they are that's exactly what i was just going to ask you about so yeah, yeah please the dive more, into this. yeah the, yeah because the more you know right now i'm working on a rig it's uh in in the back on the lift right now um but it's you know four wheel steering 47 inch tires you know 18 20 inches of travel on every corner 
the the larger and more mobile you make these things, the more stability mechanisms you have to build in to balance it as well. So it it is just much like the, you know, the human body as far as like, you know, that balance of mobility and stability must be it with you know they must be in balance it's that balance of extremes again and then everything again is just like performance tuning you know it's like the more of this you add you the more you've got to go over here and tweak this and tweak that and uh it's 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 pretty it's pretty similar i like uh, i like using car analogies um and same thing with like our modern uh i explain uh, dns in in relation to cars as well so i've got a whole speech on that but it's it's basically around the traction control system like you know we've got a powertrain right which is what humans have and we've got a nervous system well today's cars have a nervous system they everything's electronically controlled and we've got sensors all over the place right and uh there's this little traction control button in a lot of cars and a lot of people think when the traction control's on it actually takes the that power and puts it to the tire that has more traction and that's not how it works how it works is it actually when you're when you're slipping you know going around a corner with some ice or or uh, rain or whatever it is and the car and the and the wheels slip a little bit we gain traction by it goes in and detune instantly detunes the engine and transmit and, and transmission shift patterns it reduces the power output and by reducing the power output it improves the improves the the traction that or reduces the risk of the tire spinning out which reduces the risk of injury and so what happens, the same, same thing in the human body, like if you don't have good core stabilization or good joint centration, what does the body do? It detunes. So training on a BOSU ball, that's exactly what it does. It detunes you. You're not handling as much load. You don't get the training effect. Um, you go try to sprint on ice. Are you going to be able to tell your body to actually turn 100% on? No, it won't. It won't do it. Traction controls on. It's the exact same concepts. So... And uh, so anyway, that's how I explain, uh, that's how I explain DNS. Like <laughs> you don't get those positionings, you know, and it's minor things. That's where like I said a little bit of, you know, we started that conversation, you know, if we, or the 90, 10, whatever, if we don't have that, that perfect movement and we're still moving, that's fine. But once you start, like, once you want everything, that last little bit, you're seeking that perfection. Like I like to do, right? Like that minor little bit of head position change, you will see an, you'll see an, in, an output, uh, of improved power uh, output by those minor changes, by getting everything in those better positions, you'll find that you were still, like your body was still detuning you a bit. And uh, yeah, so that's my that's my that's my my side rant there. <laughs> Chris, I'm curious then too. Uh, I I want to hear just like some of your thoughts on recovery because of how just absolutely like you said extreme you go uh, with your training and just with with business everything like you're you're pouring a lot into that but i'm also curious uh if you have a way to relate this to the car as well because i i think that makes it very simple for people to understand that you know what i'm gonna give that one some thought nick and uh i'm probably gonna come back with like an article or a video on that but uh because i know on, on the fly i'm not gonna be able to uh, relate that because that's not how i work <laughs> but um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, recovery is absolutely, people don't realize that if you have an injury, that's when the work begins. Like, you know, you may be training four or five days a week, six days a week or whatever it is. But like after an injury, you're doing daily doubles, triples, like it's not the same type of training, but the level of consistency and discipline must be way through the roof to, to speed up that timeline. Um, like to give you examples, I had uh, I had a couple major injuries this year. Um, one, I uh, I tore my quad in January, um, like six weeks out from uh, doing an exp exhibition lift at the uh, the Arnold Classic. I remember seeing uh, like some of your prep work talking about. Yeah, that. yeah. So um, you know, couldn't couldn't do a body weight squat, and uh, you know, three weeks later, I was squatting eight fifty or eight sixty for a triple. Um, uh, in May. Um, I had, uh, I had pneumonia, uh, walking pneumonia and I was coughing up blood for a week and I uh, went into the doctor and, uh, they put me on antibiotics and, you know, I knew this like 10 years ago. It's one of those things, you know, when you forget and, but the doctor didn't, uh, mention the, uh, heightened risk of muscle and tendon, uh, ruptures. And I didn't train while I had pneumonia. Don't I wasn't stupid, but I got over pneumonia and it's a course, right? You're supposed to run it for the length of it. And, uh, it was the last day, uh, that I was on it. 
I went in. Actually, I went in the day prior and I did a full body like flushing pump workout to like get myself before actually going in to like do any real training and then came back the next day and uh, was doing a deadlift around like 80-ish percent of my max, uh, doing some reps. I was going to hit like eight reps, rep number four or five, um, grade three tear of my hamstring, nearly detached it. Uh, same thing with the pronus, the gastroct and the solus. Those weren't as bad, um, but uh, it was grade two or three of the pronus. Um, I had trouble walking, um, uh, and, uh, three and a half weeks later, I was deadlifting 700 pounds again. So, um, there's significantly less, you know, tendon left at the muscle tendon juncture on, uh, my, uh, my bicep on that, uh, on that side. But, you know, this, it's, you know, understanding the healing processes and just getting the work done is, is really, really critical. So, you know, an instance like that, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of work that I use with either, uh, Cairo physical therapist doesn't, doesn't really matter who, but whoever has the, the, uh, the skills to do that. But, um, um, the first thing is, you know, you've got to take a little bit of time. You don't want to go into that, you know, that damaged muscle and, you know, start hammering away at it. But, you know, like you've got to be, you've got to be on it. Like you want to stimulate those growth factors to be working all the time. You want to be cueing good movement patterns. Something was wrong, right? Even though it was induced by, um, um, you know, induced by medication in this standpoint, um, there's still, you want to practice, you know, good, clean movements, a lot of correctives that are in that practicing good core stabilization, making sure that you're hitting, you know, cueing all the muscles to fire around that joint in the proper order and in a systematic fashion. So, um, so in that instance I did, uh, you know, after, after a couple of days, we started working on, uh, uh, doing a little bit of light Graston, uh, or well, I use the Graston name kind of for any of the scraping, uh, stuff, uh, doing a lot of work with my, uh, w the product that we sell to a lot of physical therapists and Cairo's, the boomstick, uh, in combination with the acumobility ball, making sure that I've got, you know, those big knots of muscle in there that have formed from the muscle pulling away, kind of releasing and letting loose, um, doing BFR training, uh, multiple, multiple sessions a week, again, stimulating those growth factors, uh, a lot of heat treatments, um, and just, you know, just being on it constantly, you know, trying to, you know, how many, and then, and then actually adding load. So as soon as I could add load, um, you know, like I said, I started with BFR with basically body weight stuff. Um, in that instance, I used a single leg, a single leg deadlift as my, um, you know, my parameter for knowing where I was at one, because that really cued the stability mechanisms. When you think about the Peronis, the gastroc, the solace, like all that stuff being cued, like the control of the foot mechanics and all that in combination with now working the hamstring. So a single leg deadlift with a kettlebell. Um, so once I felt comfortable with that, I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to deadlift because I felt I had a really good understanding where I was. I didn't just like jump in and go, Oh, time to just start hammering away at training again. You know, like just got to work through the pain. No, that's not the methodology, but you always want to be exploring where the pain is. You want to be right on the edges of it, like all the time with each of those sessions to a little bit like, no, not hit it, not go past it, but just like, Oh, oh there it is. We're going to stay away from it. Okay, next time, oh, there it is. And every time, just saying if you can push that a little bit further. But if we don't stimulate it enough, we're never, you know, we're not going to speed up that that process. So you need, you need to push it, but never go into it. Um, and so this is a, you know, a little bit like, you know, I'm not really going that much into specifics, but that's like, that's my general, general approach with like any sort of soft tissue, uh, soft tissue type work, right? Um, so making sure that we're able to get good ranges of motion, that we're training and simulating those effects frequently, exploring the edges of pain, having a good uh, testing protocol uh, so that you can know where you're at. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going to think about that though and see if I can apply it to a, a you know an auto auto scenario. But uh, yeah, so three and a half weeks later, I was deadlifting over 700 pounds or around 700, and then uh, shortly thereafter, like in the following month, I was working up to like 900 pounds. So um, so not bad. So. Most people, you know, that's a, that's like a, that's a pretty debilitating injury. Usually you're looking at like six months, you know, so just tearing the, just tearing the, uh, um, you know, any of those muscles in the calf, you know, typically you're looking at a three month recovery time and usually not even, I've talked to many friends that couldn't even walk for a couple of weeks. 
but you know that's I was on it right away and stayed on it. So, and I, this is something that I uh, don't argue with doctors about necessarily when I'm working with patients, but uh, let's say disagree with. Uh, and it's always just the something happened or falling like immediately post surgery. It's like you can't stimulate that at all. You just have to let it completely rest, and it really frustrates me a lot of times because it just hampers the healing process by just letting stuff go. Like you're not going sometimes, to get- sometimes you're making it worse, but yeah. again, like you can't dis- you can't like, like I said, if I'm working with somebody or somebody asked me for advice and they say, well, this is what my doctor said. I well, do what your doctor says. Right now I may say, well, you might want to explore some different options from someone else. Here's a list. So usually, um, I'll refer people to like rehab to performance, uh, movement providers or the clinical athlete, um, as like somewhere to find someone that is a more of a sports performance or somebody that actually trains themselves that, but yeah, I, I, I when I detached my uh, two heads of my pack, like I had to, I ended up doing my, all my own, uh, rehab because, um, you know, what I was getting from the physical therapy and from my doctor were like, it was like, wow, that's going to set me way back. I'm going to be so far, um, removed. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I remember the first time I, I sat back with my surgeon and, uh, and, uh, you know, he asked me how things were going. I went to move my arm to show him, oh, look, I'm doing great. I've got full range of motion. And he about came out of his seat to grab my arm. And I'm like, <laughs> and by the end of it, he's like, he's like, I'm just so amazed at the progress that you've made. This is just, I've never had anybody that's recovered as fast as you have, <laughs> you know, because I, I ended up competing at nine months post-surgery, you know, and he was telling me, well, you can't really even return to full, like heavy training for a year and you're never going to be as strong as you were. Well, you know, I competed at nine months post-surgery, so I was training basically at six months, uh, and I posted the fourth, bet, the all-time fourth best total ever done in that weight class at nine months post having my pec attached. So, um, and it hasn't held me back whatsoever, not one bit. But uh, you know, within within the you know within the first like week or two weeks, I'd have to go back. I've got actually got a rec- all the videos recorded of that whole rehab process, but I had full range of my first thing I was doing is without, cause you, you're running the risk of, especially with attaching a tendon to bone, like you don't want any tendon, you know, tendonitis or tendinosis or anything like that. So that's what they're concerned about is like not going there, but that's where you're like, you're not just doing it. You're exploring the edges, but not going into it and, you know, staying on top of that. Um, but I had full range of motion back as soon as I could. And I never stopped training the other side of my body. And I'd be like, you're going to get out of balance. Nah, it doesn't quite work like that. Like if I train like that all the time, yeah. But during the rehab process, it's still going to stimulate, you know, those growth factors to be released through the whole body. And it's going to speed up the healing process. It's completely localized, right. And that's an important ex- thing to understand. Exactly. You know, I, you know me squatting with, with no arms while my arm was in a sling is actually helping my arm heal. Like, so, um, yeah. So, Chris – this is a lot of the the physical uh, part of a recovery. How have you handled uh, mentally being able to recover mm. from these injuries too? Mm. That can be tough. Uh, you know, when you're so focused on the rehab process, it actually helps you kind of set away from like the mental aspect of it, right? Um, the being afraid of the re-injury, being you like you're so consumed with like, doing all this work all the time, all day long, that it kind of just becomes all consuming in a manner like it, that it, it like takes a lot of that other stuff out of there. But there was a number of years ago, I tore my, I tore my groin, groin in a meat, um, those paper, you know, the paper towel shredding, like as I'm going down in the squat, the bar went out into the crowd. Like I, I screamed, it went, I dumped the bar over my back and it went into the crowd and, um, this happened because I decided to squat way deeper than I normally do um, for this one attempt. Backstory doesn't matter, but uh, you know, like put 800 pounds on your back and then try to find a new range of motion. Eh, not the brightest, right? So, um, but that injury was, it took me like a year and a half to get over that injury mentally um, because it was, that just that paper towel shredding with this weight on your back as you go and you're just like every time you've got a heavy weight on your back you're just waiting for it to happen and you can't like if you're going to squat 900 pounds 800 pounds whatever it is like you've got to just like be 100 percent confident or okay with whatever's going to happen and just go do it like and those second guessing things are going to just like you've got to you can't have that in your head and um you know 
it's just like training. You got to train the mind. You've got to get comfortable with it. I mean, that's just the that's just the straight up part of it is like you have to practice. You have to practice being afraid, being in fear and like not being afraid. And, uh, you know, that's advice for life because you never know. You know, you can sit there and try to remove all the stressors from your life and have this nice low key life. Right. But you never know what's going to happen that, you know, that. You know, there's going to be an auto accident. The car's going to catch on fire and there's a kid in it. And you've got to like, you know, decide whether you're going to jump in there and try to, you know, yank the kid out or not. Like you don't practice for that. So I think there's a level of like in life you need to you need to explore your fears. You need to chase your fears. You need to practice being in fear to know how you're going to respond. You've got to be okay with going one day, you know, I've got a couple hundred thousand dollar a year job and I'm totally secure and I've, and I'm just going to walk away from that. You've got to, you know, you've got to be okay with putting a thousand pounds on your back, you know, and saying, if I want to do this, I got to be okay with whatever the outcomes are and go down and come up. You know, you've got to, you have to practice living in fear. You've got to practice some level of that. I think, um, just to see, because you never know what's going to hit. You never know how you're going to respond. It's just like anything else. Chris, I think I, I like that you said that like, that's a good thing for life because uh, at least in the U S like in, in the Western world, a lot of times, like we're pretty damn cushy. Like everything's pretty yeah, safe. Yep. I mean, but like, is your mind soft? Like right. you can need to practice. You, you, you may have hard muscles, but your mind might be soft. You got to train the mind too. Like it, and we're not just talking about mental acuity, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's an awesome yeah. way to put it actually too. Right. Yeah. Because people think of just the mind as like, uh, well, two plus two is four and like, or just reading a book or something like that. No, it's the mind is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Well, just speaking all sorry if you haven't figured out i like life philosophy stuff too so i'm into it i'm into it so that's why i'm curious like what are you geeking out on right now uh whether it be life philosophy whether it be strength whether it be cars whatever it is like what are you just kind of diving into that's new for you um you know i just i just finished a really great book um uh, by uh, phil knight um about his story and it's really just about perseverance and i i really needed that lesson right now you know, with, uh, with running, with, uh, you know, running a small business or <laughs> getting to be a larger business, um, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of challenges and, you know, there are challenges I've dealt with when it was someone else's pocketbook, you know, and, but I was responsible for it. And it's different when, you know, it's your, your, your own thing and your own baby. And, uh, you know, when people attack you or attack your company, they're attacking you personally. And, uh, you know, so it, it, it has a different feel and there's a lot of challenges and it's been, it's been a challenging year for me. So hearing that lesson of just like, and it's a great book and it's just about, you know, when stuff gets, you know, when, you know, when you, when you're just overwhelmed and everything's crashing down on you and you feel it's going to fall apart, like just working harder sometimes is a solution, just working harder. That may be your fix. So, um, I, I, I don't know that there's any big philosophy, you know, uh, you know, thought there, but it was, it was really a message in hearing the, you know, how much, you know, how close so many times that Nike almost never was almost never was over and over, like d- repeatedly story over story over story of like that he just kept beating away. And then there was literally no way out. And walk across the street and like find some, you know, Japanese investment firm. Okay. All right. You know, the company's going to be closed in two days and boom, here's where we're at. This is what we did. And like, it's just, just keep pounding away. And it's, it's hard to think that, you know, one of the, the most iconic brands, you know, uh, out there and a wildly successful company and Phil Knight being, you know, like, you know, the 15th richest person in the world. Like it was, he didn't get paid till he was like 20 years into it. I think it was like, no, 20 years into it. He was still living in a small little house in Beaverton, like, you know, 1200 square foot house. I don't think he took a paycheck for the first 10 years. He was working on the, he was doing it all as a night gig. 
you know, he had employees, but like, you know, he couldn't pay himself. He was like 10 or 15 years in finally bought a house for, for him and his wife and a kid. And, uh, you know, like I said, it was this little tiny place in Beaverton. He was there till he like was 20 years in, um, before they actually started seeing like positive cash flow. I mean, that's 20 years of like pounding away, you know, you just like, have to believe in what you're doing. You just at that have point, to believe. You just out. have to. You just have to believe, right? And 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 then there it is. It's like you couldn't. It's it'd be hard to imagine Nike not being around. The fact that it was like such on a shoestring and so you know literally shoestring, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> unintended pun. But uh, for for so long that it was you know just like dangling by a thread and like so many times like just almost never was, almost never was, and. Uh, and then the, it's just a true story of true perseverance and actually hearing the tales over and over again is, is pretty, pretty awesome. It's a great read or it's an audio book if anybody's interested. So it's got my, got my, uh, my, my endorsement. So, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on right now is, is just, just working harder with the challenges. It's been, this last year has been uh, one of the most challenging years of my life. And, uh, um, for a number of reasons and, uh, not saying bad, challenging, <laughs> two different things. There's also been some of the greatest things that have happened to me in my life have happened over this last year. So, um, but, uh, you know, it's just, you know, sticking with it, believing in your dream and chasing it and, uh, working it, not just believing it. There's so many people that like get to believe and dream it, but like having a vision and a plan in every day, working that plan, working that plan one step at a time, knowing that path. It's a big difference between dreamers and doers, man. <laughs> well, and that's just because I, I feel like I like bringing it back to something like this. Like what are your beliefs that are possible for movement? If you will, like for whether it be powerlifting, weightlifting, strongman, or, or if we get into endurance sports, like do you, do you think we really have limits on these things? We have limits, but are we any, or, or are we anywhere near those limits? Maybe I don't think we are, and uh, I don't think we are. And it's going to be interesting to see. I think uh, you know, as the future comes, like where where what we achieve. But like it's like a, we look at powerlifting now, and it's like a thousand pound squat was a big deal with people wearing you know equipped suits not too long ago. And now we've got like five or six people like squatting a thousand pounds. And, and then just like a couple weeks ago, some guy came out of nowhere that had, he had his uh, knee or I think his knee completely replaced. He was completely gone. Nobody had even heard from him for like five years. Walks into a meet, squats 1102 <laughs> on a, on a false knee, you know? So like, and nobody would even like, like everybody thought of like a 900 LaRoss squat was like the bomb, like not too long ago, like thousand. Oh my God, can't happen. And now like there's like six people doing it. Like, um, deadlift, same thing. Like nobody thought anybody could break a thousand. Andy Bolton did it. Now there's six people that have deadlifted over a thousand. And, uh, and, and, and now we've got a guy that's deadlifted 1100, like, like, all, like that, like, and that's just happened over a course of years. Like we see those things, those things happening when somebody does it, you know, the, the four minute mile is a classic story of it. But like, I, you know, I think that there's, there's, there's so much that's come out in the last 10 years about like, uh, rehabilitation and train training concepts. And when I work with a lot of these, um, cause we work with a lot of professional sports teams and Olympic athletes and, um, we are very far from implementing like best practices at this point. Like, um, it's, it, you, you, you've got smidgets here and there, but I really don't think like, you know, our best athletes out there, the people who are performing are, are, are performing, you know, despite their training, not in spite of it. So, um, you know, I, you know, if we look at like how many people out there are using really good, you know, some of the best. And, and, and again, that science is like evolving all the time as well. We're learning more and growing more. And that really seems to have been taking off in the last like decade um, where I remember when I started, like the stuff that I teach, like I look back and go, I'm all broken. I sure wish I sure wish somebody was back there teaching what I what I know now. And I'm like, oh, wait. No, that couldn't happen because 
it wasn't it it didn't exist like i can't go oh it's because i you know i was uncoachable i didn't seek it out i didn't whatever it wasn't there like and now there's a whole crop of powerlifters like following kind of the stuff that i teach and you know like where's that going to take them what are they going to learn what are they going to move from from that and just the ability you know a lot of it has to do with information and information flow right you know it was a coach working with some lifters and if he or you know lifters athletes um you know like let's say in the 70s and if the only way people got it is if it got published and put in a book and then it would be you know like now information flow and it's a matter of like discerning like what's valuable and what's <laughs> not because uh become becomes the skill right and understanding the web like how does all this stuff relate and what are the key components and how does that apply to what i'm doing um the interconnected of of interconnectedness of everything and uh it's kind of what I pride myself in, by the way, is like figuring out those things. That's why, you know, I take from rehab performance, all that other stuff to develop the models that we have. But um, that's the information is the thing that's driving it and information flow. That's why I say the last decade, because that's become so much more, you know, open and moving. Uh, and now that now it's now it's exploding, plus the ability to test with new tools um, and actually discern the results. But now we've got people that are stuck in like doing what they did. My coach did it this way 40 years ago. So this is what I do. And so a lot of this hasn't like, I'm not saying everyone is that way, but the majority of <laughs> what's being taught out there is that. So if the majority, then think about your most talented athletes. Most of them are probably not They're They're getting trained by that majority. Right? So, so I think as the new crop of like strength and conditioning coaches and, and clinical professionals and all that start really having an impact, like over the next 20, 30 years, we're going to start seeing a phenomenal change as they start taking, taking the lead on this stuff, right? Well, I'm certainly looking forward to all that is to come with really all the changes, whether it be training, rehab, I think everything is going to start melding together and for the better. Uh, Chris, in closing, let's just share with the listeners where they can find out more about you, more about Kabuki Strength, everything that you guys have going on out there. Awesome. Yes. So please, please come check out our website, kabukistrength.com. That's K-A-B-U-K-I strength.com. Links to all of our social media is on there. Um, I do most of my stuff is on uh, Instagram, mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin. Um, but Kabuki Strength is on Instagram as well. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, uh, don't do a whole lot on Twitter, but um, I, 140 characters doesn't work for me if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so check us out. We have uh, education. Uh, we publish a lot of free articles. Um, we have... Um, tons of products that you will really geek out on like a lot of industry first or what we're we don't release something unless it's bringing something new to the table we are not a me too company so you've really got to check out like our shoulder rock our duffalo bar um you know just some of the other it, it's come check us out you will uh, you'll love it uh we have our own podcast uh it's linked on the website as well uh strength chat where we interview uh industry professionals so um, this is where we try to bring these people out, the ones that I'm talking about, the new, you know, the new thinkers, the things that are, you know, people that are making change, but people that are doing it as a professional, you know, in the trenches every day. So check out Strength Chat. We're on uh, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, all that sort of stuff, I'm told. So <laughs> everybody, I know, and I do encourage everybody to check all this stuff out. Uh, I'm a podcast junkie myself, so I, I appreciate what you guys are doing over there for sure. But all, all the other stuff definitely awesome the, the articles the the videos so chris really appreciate all that you guys are doing so thank you again so much all right thank you thanks again for listening and don't forget to head over to barenakedhealthpodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode while you're there 
go to my calendar and schedule a 15 minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you.